Hi there. A quick note before you start listening to this episode. As the podcast has evolved, we've come to focus more directly on the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion in organizational life. The episode you're currently listening to focuses more broadly on the topic of creating purposeful organizations. So if that's what you're after, then listen on. But if you're looking for more DEI-focused content, we suggest skipping forward a few episodes and looking for the ones titled Inclusion at Work. Happy listening. Companies with purpose last and that people with purpose thrive. So keeping that strong triple bottom line imperative in the choices we make means that we can deliver fantastic financial returns as an organisation, but we can do it in a way that has a positive impact on the planet and the communities that we serve. Welcome to the Leaders for Good podcast. My name is Phil Cross, partner at Leaders for Good. The other voice you'll hear in this episode, besides our guest, of course, is my co-founder, Kerry Boys. And for those of you new to the podcast and perhaps new to Leaders for Good, we are a strategy and leadership development business focused primarily on helping organizations that want to more profitably integrate purpose into what they do. And that looks like a number of things from purpose-led strategy to diversity, equity, inclusion, and more. And it's for all those reasons that we're very excited today to be joined by Nikki Sparshop. Nikki is the CEO of Unilever Australia and New Zealand. She is the former global CEO of luxury retailer T2T, which I'm a big fan of, um, among some other impressive credentials you'll hear at the top of the episode. Nikki has over 25 years of experience in developing and building brands, growing businesses, and transforming both infrastructure and culture. And in this wide-ranging conversation, we cover many things, some of the surprising benefits of focusing on organizational purpose, lessons learned in closing the saying doing gap between purporting to do good and actually doing good as a business, the importance of progress over perfection, the power of creating accountability for purpose at every level of an organization, the importance of creating the belief that change is possible, unpacking some of the factors that help T2 in its rapid movement towards B Corp certification, the measurement power of measurement and the, um, the, the importance of setting public goals and being transparent and much, much more. As I said, and as you can tell from that laundry list, this is a wide ranging conversation. So without further ado, we bring you Nikki Sparsha. welcome to the Leaders for Good podcast. Today, we are lucky enough to have Nikki Sparshot joining us. And Nikki is not only the CEO of Unilever Australia and New Zealand, she's also executive director of WWF, working on a number of boards such as Global Sisters, Ehrenberg Bass, Climate Leaders Coalition, Champion of Change, and the list just goes on. From the moment that I first got the pleasure of speaking to Nikki, it was clear that she is absolutely passionate about the world of doing good and of sustainability and has led one of Australia's largest organizations in that journey. So we couldn't be more excited to have you with us today. And I'm going to start off by asking you the question of how did you come to do the work that you're doing? How, how did you start on this on this journey? Yeah, you know, it's a funny thing because I don't, I don't think as a child you grow up thinking I'm going to be a CEO one day, actually. It was very far from my uh, 
from my mind at the time. But I think from a very young age, I always had like a real interest in business, you know, that sort of little lemonade stand that you might set up that, you know, gets a little bit bigger with a cake stand in a mall and, you know, kind of goes from there into somewhat bigger endeavours. So that sort of entrepreneurial business um, love was there from quite a young age. But then so too was that sense of justice, you know, how, how can you, you know, simultaneously do things for good? Uh, and I've always been interested in um, the amazing work that companies like Greenpeace or Amnesty International um, or, uh, or others, many others in that space have done over the years. And it's sort of something that I, I'd always watched. I spent a long time in the early stage of my career thinking one day I'm going to give up the corporate life and go and do good, <laughs> go and contribute. And I had this aha moment at one point where I realised that was kind of crazy. I should be getting up every single day and feeling like the contribution that I make and the way I choose to spend my time can be creating positive impact, even in small ways, every single day. Um, and I'm so grateful to be uh, working for a company like Unilever and I've had the privilege of working across a number of different markets and a number of different roles for the last 16 years. Uh, and that has afforded me the opportunity to not only unleash my love of business, but do it in a way that can have a true triple bottom line impact at the same time. So that's a whistle stop tour to what's brought me here today. Fantastic. And you obviously touched on on Unilever there and, and some of the work you're doing. And, and many of our listeners will be familiar with Unilever and, and their, uh, their, their ethos and, and approach to sustainability. But um, if for those that aren't, um, if you wouldn't mind just unpacking, um, what is Unilever broadly, broadly speaking, doing in, in this area? What, what, does the, what underpins the philosophy? And um, yeah, maybe maybe a couple of examples to bring it to life. Yeah, sure. So um, for those of you who haven't heard of Unilever, Unilever is a, a fast-moving consumer goods company, one of the biggest around the world. So we're almost operating in every company or every country um, globally. Uh, our, you might know us better for some of our brands, brands like um, Dove or Sunsilk or Ben & Jerry's or Magnum or Rexona. Uh, we operate across personal care categories, food categories, ice cream categories, and if you wander down the supermarket aisle, you would probably come across a Unilever uh, brand. Uh, interestingly, you know, the Unilever story starts, you know, over 100 years ago and um, is the story of sort of founding fathers that were very much into social enterprise. You think about Lord Lever, he uh, created Sunlight Soap and he did so at the time because he wanted to make hygiene commonplace in Victorian England which was not the case at that point in time. And he felt that that simple bar of soap could actually really radically change the lives of the everyday man, woman and child. Um, and similarly, we have many stories like that, but, but Sir Thomas Lipton at the time wanted to democratise access of a good cup of tea to everybody. Why should it remain with the elites and the royals? Um, and in the same way, sort of create that sort of point of unity for people um, and that simple pleasure in, in what was pretty tough times as well. So there's always been that very strong um, philanthropic, humanitarian bent to business uh, in Unilever and that continues today. Um, today, actually, you know, Unilever's focus is really to make sustainable living commonplace, to ensure that 
that you know every day about three billion Unilever products are used. Um, so three billion people use Unilever products on a daily basis, which allows us to have pretty significant reach into people's homes, which is a, a, a privilege uh, and also a responsibility as well. Um, but at the heart of what Unilever does is is a belief that um, brands with purpose grow, you know, companies with purpose last, and that people with purpose thrive. So keeping that strong triple bottom line imperative and the choices we make means that we can deliver fantastic financial returns as an organisation, but we can do it in a way that has a positive impact on the planet and the communities that we serve. Yeah, perfect. And I think you just started to talk to it there, but I'd love to dig into a little bit more, which is the benefits that having this organisational really clear purpose, what the benefits that have come up. And you've talked a bit there, but what are maybe some of the more surprising benefits that you might not necessarily anticipated as you started on the journey? I think that no one would disagree that this is something that's worth doing. You know, most people would say this is a cool thing to do, but I'll tell you a couple of, of, of different uh, aha moments I had. And the first one is, I think it would be fair to say that the last few years have been pretty volatile, right? They've been a, a sort of series of curveball after curveball after curveball. And, and arguably that creates a lot of anxiety and tension and stress as well for, for individuals. I mean, to be part of a business where you are able to contribute to something more than um, is an incredible rallying cry. It's a real galvanizer. I have could not be more proud of the Unilever team in Australia and New Zealand and the way that they've risen to the challenges that we've had in the last few years. And I am in no doubt that that's in part because everybody realises that whilst they may be experiencing some personal uh, challenge navigating through this time, they're part of a business that actually can make a difference um, to the lives of, of many, many more. So it's a great galvaniser. I know it gets me up in the morning. So, you know, those times where you feel like, oh, my gosh, we're walking through treacle. This is a little bit harder than we had hoped it would be. It's, 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 uh, it's a really good source of energy. You know, the other thing is as well, um, you know, the people that we serve, our consumers, uh, I don't like the word consumers, but, you know, the people that, that we serve that buy our products, um, they want it. They're demanding more of brands and companies. Um, and there was a time when people used to say that but not actually spend their money in that way, whereas we're seeing that shift. People are not only saying it's important for me, not only what you produce but how you produce it, and I'm now going to make a very active choice um, with my wallet, with my heart, with my voice. And, um, and that I'm really excited to see how that has increased. And actually even during COVID where arguably... There could have been um, a slowdown in that area. If anything, I think it's just made people realise how much more important it is. So there have been two really um, interesting, important and meaningful um, drivers of change. Yeah, great. And I think you also mentioned when we talked last time around investors. I'd love to hear yeah. you on that one as well because that was yeah one of the areas that we've been really interested in. Yeah, absolutely. So when you... So to, to, play, to say it plainly, money talks, right? So when all of a sudden you have the investor community, the banking community, where, where, you know, where the capital markets are starting to talk much more deliberately and with intent around um, the world of sustainability and focus on brands and businesses that are actively engaging in this space, um, then that also helps 
and, and look, irrespective of what the motivation is in that area, I think what it does do is, is a very strong symbol and galvaniser for change as well. So I, I'm delighted that there is so much more focus from, uh, I guess, the money markets in this area. And one thing, one thing that, you know, I'm sure you're seeing as well, but the the influence of technology, the influence of the media is is only enhancing transparency in this space. So you, you touched on it before, but greenwashing and just making a nice, you know, statement in your annual report or putting some, you know, nice imagery and language on your packaging is is no longer enough because brands will be uncovered and and you know, being disingenuous in this space has exactly the opposite effect to um, to your to your people, to your customers, to to, to investors. So, I, I think one thing to celebrate in this space is that is that greater degree and that ever increasing transparency. The, the the view we all have on organizations and the ability to make more more informed choices here as well. So, um, just thought I'd throw that throw that in there. I'm I'm curious as to. You, and you touched on this at the start when you when you started to unpack this, but um, it, this seems like a no brainer. This seems like okay, of, of course we want to have a positive impact in the world. But if it was if it was easy, we'd all be we'd all be doing it, and, and every organisation would be would be you know sustainable and, and operating in that way. So that kind of presupposes that there's an element of difficulty here. What are some of the frustrations you've experienced with with trying to embed purpose, with with trying to, to to roll this out in different ways? What are what are some of the ways? What are some of the barriers you've you've come up against, and and maybe how have you overcome them? I think I think our, our audience might be <laughs> experiencing similar challenges and be interested in some some more stories from your perspective. I think the key thing here, and and it talks to the say do gap what companies say they're going to do and the commitments that they set um, versus the action that they take towards demonstrating genuine momentum towards it. And I think closing that say-do gap is really, really important. And I think being transparent not only with your commitments but with your progress and with your challenges goes a very long way to helping build confidence, credibility with the many different stakeholders that any organisation has to deal with. Uh, but, look, the honest answer is it's, it's hard, right? If, if all of a sudden you um, have made the decision that you want to re-engineer your value chain to be imminently more sustainable than you have been in the past, and particularly for bigger companies that potentially have legacy systems or for smaller companies who may have some genuine capital and resource constraints that they have to navigate, um, I think recognising that it's hard is important because that, that is the first thing. You need to create credibility and belief that this is possible. The second thing is that you... You need to put the right people in place. And that's a combination of great technical expertise, you know, somebody that can help you understand what good looks like, where you are now and how you can bridge the gap. But you also need a bucket load of people with the right mindset and the right um, passion to make that change happen because they can be incredible change agents in an organisation. So I think that is that is equally important. And you need the and-and of both uh, the other thing is in making choices to be more sustainable, in the short term, it can add cost to your business. So 
you know, that requires then an obsessive focus or certainly the way that we've looked at it at Unilever or in my former role at T2, you've got to work out where you can remove the non-value added costs in your business and be ruthless about that so that you can take up these costs that I think are valuable um, for a whole host of reasons. And, and that, that requires some, you know, good diligence to get that done well. The final thing that I would say there is, Probably there was a time when the person that had sustainability in their title, everyone kind of felt like, oh, yeah, we're on the sustainability journey because we've got, like I say, sustainability head of or we've got a team of sustainability people and you kind of could go, yay, that's awesome, we're doing it, but I don't need to fundamentally change anything I'm doing because that's sort of in the domain of someone else's remit. The reality is every single person should have sustainability um, and whether that's a planet orientation or environment orientation or people orientation in their remit because we can all make a difference. So that's the other important thing is that in, irrespective of the role you hold, the function you're in, every single person has the opportunity to um, take up um, an action that can contribute to a company's sustainability agenda. And Nikki, I'd love to just get really tactical on that for a moment. So how do you make that point happen at Unilever? How do you give everyone that opportunity and how do you embed that in people's roles? Yeah, I mean, some of the sort of very specific commitments that we've made um, is the start point, right? So where are you going to focus your energies? We've said that we want to um, be positively contributing to the environment, not just doing no ill, but positively contributing um, to a better planet through things like net zero emissions, through things like reduction of plastics, um, through reduction of food waste through our value chain. So there's a number of different initiatives there. Um, it could be through our community and people agenda. How do we contribute to a fairer and more socially inclusive world and our diversity, equity, inclusion um, contributions play a really big role there and we've chosen a few vectors that are really important to um, our business but also to our nation actually that we believe that we can contribute to um, and then of course we say to everybody you know we are a business so that ability to profitably grow is important because when we profitably grow we can fund those other things really really well so hence you need to be doing those three things in equal measure and then we give each of our teams um, the opportunity to work out well, what, where can their contribution best fit to that um, those corporate commitments that we have made, and that goes right down to everybody's objectives that we are focused on in in year. And we celebrate success often. You know, small steps get you there. So celebrate success often, and equally celebrate failures because sometimes mm -hmm. you'll get it wrong. And there's, you know, I think about myself, there are some areas where I think I know exactly what needs to be done in order to be able to realise this um, objective that we've set. And then there are other areas where we've set big, hairy, audacious goals and, honestly, I am not sure how we're going to get there. But that's okay because I know I don't need to do it by myself. There is an ecosystem of people in our business through our partners, yep. in the broader community, with other companies that are also wanting to land this agenda that we can um, give generously to and steal shamelessly from. And I think that should bring great comfort to anybody that's thinking about how they embark on this. Um, it's not like anybody has it, you know, slam dunk 
nailed it. <laughs> I think everyone is trying to work their way through it. But the good thing is some companies have done parts of it very, very well um, and are struggling in others. And, and that is true across the board. So you can generally find somebody that can help you out. Yeah. And you mentioned that before, the fact that in this world, people are so generous and there's so much sharing and so much community. So that's so nice to hear. And I also really love that point that you were making that we tend to articulate as progress over perfection. But I think when we're thinking about things being big and scary and hard, having this sense that you have to get it right first time or have to get to the sort of the perfect organization just means it's impossible. So those incremental steps, I think, are so important. And just to sort of link that back to one of the other things you said, which was around creating belief that it's possible. So in my mind, that comes from an incremental approach. I think Unilever's done something similar. I'd love to hear a bit more about how did you go about creating that belief that it's possible? So maybe let me take you back just to when Unilever really kind of got into this space. And Mm. and at the time, it was under Paul Holman's leadership, so maybe about 12 years ago now, where he felt very passionately that um, he wanted Unilever to be an absolute front runner in the role that business can play in, um, you know, in, in, in in delivering a better world, to be honest. Um, and the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal targets and how companies can contribute. Because the reality is companies, by nature of the reach that they have, um, can can actually create quite a big impact um, across the globe relatively fast when you harness all the resources well. Um, And so he created the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan. And one of the things I loved about that at the time, aside from the ambition and the commitment and the granularity, right, because then you sort of really measure what you treasure sort of thing, um, was that he he published it externally. He asked Mm. others to hold us to account. Um, And that was wonderful. And I think that really kicked Unilever off on a very... um, very focused journey in the sustainability space. We now have Alan Job, who's at the head of Unilever, and what I love about what he did when he took the office a couple of years back was he said, you know what, rather than having a business plan over here and a Unilever sustainability plan over there, actually we're going to have one compass that integrates our business objectives with our sustainability and people objectives such that it's inextricably linked. And that means that the choices that we make at any point in time in terms of how we deliver financial results then is material in terms of how we get to where we're getting to. And, you know, one of the things I say to the team in our own business in ANZ is we try to navigate what that means for us locally is is it good for business and is it good for society? Mm. If it's good for business but it's not good for society, then let's go back to the drawing board because we haven't quite cracked it yet. We haven't worked hard enough. If it's good for society but it's not good for business, then that's also not good enough because we are a business and we do Mm. have obligations and actually we need it to be good for business to be able to fund all of this other great stuff that we want to do. Um, so the sweet spot for a company like Unilever is when you can get that intersection of both good for business and good for society. And I, know I like to think the more we grow as a business, the more we can get our brands into the hands of Australians and New Zealanders, then the more good we can do. Excellent. I have another follow on 
sort of mildly technical question if i if i may and it, it builds on what you were just sharing you, you mentioned the triple bottom line i think at the top of our our conversation you also unpacked it beautifully not long ago when you talked about um you know how how this has or how your decisions have an impact on people and and the planet and, and also obviously the profitability of your organization um what i'm wondering is is <clears throat> how explicitly uh, in an explicit fashion in terms of you are you know and i love the phrase measure what you treasure but um, um, in terms of how people are KPI'd, in terms of you know d different departments, different functions, how how far down does the the, the triple bottom line um, extend within the organisation in terms of you know individuals and teams? Are, are they are they looking and thinking in that way, um, or does it does it chunk up a little bit? If you can if you can answer that at all. So I'm going to give you a th the theoretical answer and the practical answer. Now mm, the, the theory. The, the nirvana, maybe I'll put it that way, mm. is that it touches every single person in the organisation irrespective of the role that they do. And by and large, that is the intent um, that every single person plays a role. And, you know, our you know our heroes over the last few years have been our factory workers who have just kept the factories, you know, running, producing essential goods and services for for the community during you know times of COVID, it's been our field teams who have gone in and partnered with our retailers, kept product on shelves, and um, they they are also the closest in many ways to to the consumers and what's mm. happening in the market. Um, and then of course our office teams who have worked from home under varying degrees of challenge. Um, but what I when I speak to the teams, that sort of ability to have that impact is quite important um, for their own energy you know it, 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 there's the financial I'm a big believer that the financial measures are an output it's mm -hmm. the uh of, of many choices that you make um as a as a business uh now that's the so the nirvana is everybody does it the reason I say in practice is the point I would want to make here is leadership plays a really important role mm -hmm. and I'm not talking about leadership you know, a CEO of a business, although that is important because it does set a certain tone for the organisation. But for me, it is, um, it's the line management through the organisation because that's where you get the accountability right through to um, everybody uh, in the business. And so it's as good as the passion, the focus and the commitment as every single person um, with line management responsibility takes up. Wonderful. Thank you. So I think you've done a really great job of digging us a bit into Unilever. The other brand that we talked about that we'd love to talk more on is T2 and their journey to becoming B Corp and the sort of challenges that you faced along the on along the way there and how you got that organization on board with, with the necessity of becoming a B Corp. Yeah, just, perfect. Just, so just just to frame it up as well, I possibly have an unhealthy amount of T two uh, teas in my in my home. So I'm, I'm I, to, to learn they were a B Corp was just a uh, was just a wonderful. It made me feel good about my uh, my my slightly weird collection of, of T two teas. But anyway, oh, sorry. Well, <laughs> I uh, thank you in advance for that very weird collection you have, and you can keep drinking it, knowing that uh, not only you're drinking the best tea on the planet, but the best tea for the planet. There you go. Oh, good. But, uh, T2, what an incredibly beautiful business. So for those of you that don't know, T2, it's um, it's a luxury tea company um, and we produce, you know, not only teas but beautiful tea wares and gifting products. Um, when, when I took it over a number of years ago, 
uh, one of the things that I was really keen to do with the leadership team was look at how we could start to build um, sustainability and diversity, equity, inclusion much more um, deliberately into the, the strategy of T2, not just the strategy, even the, the kind of the manifesto of the organisation. And so I remember sitting with the leadership team at the time and saying, I, I have this idea that we might want to become a B Corp. And the team, it's, it, I've seen this happen a number of times. It's an equal measure of exhilaration and excitement because that's kind of cool, right, if you can be part of a team and a business that navigates your way to B Corp certification and, and horror, absolute horror uh, around whether or not Nikki was just having a moment or whether this was going to become a thing. And, and I can assure you it became a thing. And, uh, we, but we decided, and then the reason it is so fearful for many is because if you have a business, maybe a startup or even um, a business whose roots have started from a place of sustainability or, or a place of social enterprise, then this doesn't seem so scary. But if that's not the case necessarily, then the reality is you have to unravel a lot of the choices that you've made and you have to reimagine your business end to end. And that's what we needed to do at T2, was reimagine our business end to end in order to meet the very high standards that B certification or B Corp um, requires. Uh, but we did. And what again, it goes back to that point about, you know, when we shared it with the broader business at T2, it was an incredible galvanizer when we have a lot of younger people in the business uh, and for them this is like a no-brainer of course we want to do this so you realize you've got this latent energy that you can harness to get exponential performance above and beyond the norm because people just want to do it and and that set us on a sort of 18-month journey to B Corp certification and we, we have teas that we bring in from all around the world thousands of ingredients all requiring sustainable sourcing certification validation all of our teaware products um, it was quite the effort and the team um, across the board that worked on that were heroic in the navigating the challenges but also being ruthlessly obsessive about wanting to get there and um and today B Corp um and T2 are uh, are very much uh you know partners and uh and and the team continues to do incredible things in that business 18 months is it may seem like a long time to the to the uninitiated but to to, to meet those rigorous standards as you say that's a heroic effort that that that's that's fairly remarkable i'm wondering was there anything that was the difference that made the difference there what 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 kind of what, what was your secret sauce how how did how did you how did you make this happen in such a in such a quick turnaround i think that everybody realized what an incredible achievement it would be to actually get to that um, place. So I think having a North Star that's really motivating, if not audacious, um, is the first place to start. You know, I grew up with my mum saying to me, you know, you may as well reach for the stars, you might get the moon. And we sort of adopted that mantra, you know, even if we got close to our ambition, that would be better than setting a low bar and meeting it. So that was important. Um, Cross-functional team effort, right? This required 
um, a very diverse group of people coming together and diversity, not just in the expertise that they brought to the table, but the perspective that they brought to the table because they were, we were able to sort of think about things creatively. Um, and the last one was, and I'll, I'll use the word change agents again, but, but just tapping into the people in the business, irrespective of the hierarchy or function or geographic location, who had the energy to be part of the team because actually a lot of the work that is required is probably on top of your day job, to mm. be honest, yep. um, for a period of time. So it does require, yeah, you need to kind of want to do it and feel excited about the prospect of it. So important. We we find that a lot with um, we do a lot of work. I'm, I'm sure Kerry's mentioned in the in the DEI space and and bringing together DEI committees or employee resource groups. It is often, as you say, on on top of the day job. So so that passion and that and that space and that ge that genuine genuine space and genuine desire is is critical because otherwise you're just going to get stressed out people who um, uh, don't don't have a don't have the time to to bring to life what they what they set out to bring to life. So yeah. Perfect. And then I think we've got a final question for you, which is just what's capturing your attention at the moment? Where are your current areas of focus? Um, the, the honest answer right now is that we continue to uh, navigate the, the many challenges of COVID. I don't think we're quite right, right out of the woods just yet. Um, I use the analogy in, in our business that if 2020 was a bit like an earthquake in 2021, was a series of aftershocks and 2022 is a little bit of the the kind of aftermath that's um that has left has been left in its wake and we see that mostly in the supply chain discontinuities that mm. we're, we're all mm. trying to manage for uh so that's sort of the immediate you know job to be done how do we keep people safe while keeping the business running and serving the communities across all of that however is how do we keep doing that in a way that's good for business and good for society and uh, I guess that's where um, the intersection of this comes into into play uh, and that's absolutely the focus the other thing as well is you, you know we want to be delivering today but we also want to be planning for tomorrow so we're constantly looking at what are those innovative ways of continuing to reimagine our business uh, we you know we've got um, renewable electricity in our operations, but we want to make sure that we can do that through all of our manufacturing plants as well. We have significantly reduced our use of virgin plastics in the company, but what would it take to actually have 100% post-consumer recycled plastics in everything we do or, or even remove the need for plastics through more innovative business models? Um, we have uh, significantly reduced waste through our value chain, but not 100%. Mm -hmm. What would it actually take to get that down to, to zero? Uh, we have recently um, embarked on our reconciliation action plan for the organisation because we really see the huge benefit in learning from First Nations people who actually have so much expertise, particularly in the area of environment, that can help us make the boat go faster um, and then, of course, many other areas. So I think it is ensuring that, you know, not only, we don't only survive through these times, but we thrive through these times, that we use the fact that necessity is the mother of invention and that invention can actually create some magic for the organisation. Uh, what what 
came up for me there as you were as you were sharing and and i love the way you framed it as framed almost everything there as a question as a, as a what if question and I, I think in the work we do with organizations the 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 difference between the organizations that are successful in this area and the ones that are not so much is that relentless pursuit of more is that always asking what's next what if it was a little bit better what if it what if we did a little bit more um and never being um you know never being content and and, and never being complacent with where you are so uh, i love that I, I love that ethos i think it's so important yeah i completely agree and that continual reimagining um i think makes it feel exciting and makes mm. it feel possible versus this just sort of endless grind to get a little bit better it's actually no this is still exciting this is still motivating and I think I suspect you would agree that the job is just never done there's always yeah. going to be ways to improve um so yeah I think it would be a very exciting organization to work at I can understand why it's such a big galvanizer for your people okay so moving on to our wrap-up questions now and we'd just love to get to know you a bit more so starting with what obsessions do you explore on the evenings or weekends yeah, I um, love to travel, which is a little bit ironic considering we've not been able to do that for the last little while, but I am uh, uh, insatiable when it comes to wanting to experience different cultures, different um, countries, different foods. So that's one of my passions. And I found ways of doing that locally, actually being back in Australia after being abroad for such a long time has enabled me to do that right in our backyard. So that's been wonderful. I love to read. I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie. I kind of like the rush of whitewater rafting and jumping out of aeroplanes and hiking and stuff like that. So that's always nice. And thankfully I've got a husband and two kids that are right up for that as well. So that makes it fun to do. And then honestly, my guilty pleasure is stealing away with uh, a good cup of tea or a glass of wine and a really good book, which I don't get to do as much as I would like, but I um, certainly enjoy it when I can. Absolutely fantastic. Have you managed to combine your adrenaline junkie pursuits with travel? Is there any sort of matches you can share with us between cool stuff you've done in, in interesting parts of the world? Oh, you know, I've climbed volcanoes. I've gone to really interesting caves. Um, yeah, done some real, very, very cool stuff uh, with the family. So, yeah, I would... Uh, yeah, uh, probably that's for a different podcast, I think, Bill. <laughs> I was going to say, you lots of war stories there. We might have to do a round two at some point where we dig into that. And and yeah. just curious, any any um, any books that float to mind as well? Um, it, it can be on the topic of purpose and sustainability in business, or just anything great that you've you've read recently that you think might be interesting for the audience. Oh, you know what, I'm. Um, I am um, show you the book I'm in the middle of, so I haven't mm. finished it yet, but is um by Stephen Levine and it's a year to live, which mm. sounds a little bit macabre, but actually is pretty uplifting, sort of makes you think about the choices that you're making every single day and are you living life in the way that you would live it if you knew that you were on a clock. And I guess all of us are, but we don't quite appreciate that sometimes. So that's been a nice way to step into 2022 and just a sort of reminder of what matters most. Very cool. Oh, we do that sometimes in in some of our workshops. We give people a um, a visualization of roughly where they are in the average lifespan and where they are in the average career as a bit of a prompter to think about oh, with the time I've got left, what, what what's the impact that I want to have and what do I what, yeah. what's the mark I want to leave in the world. So um, love that. A year to live. Stephen Levine, did you say? Correct. Yes. Okay, we'll put that in the uh, we'll put that in the show notes for the audience. Perfect. And then final closing question. What is the biggest change towards more sustainable living that you've made personally, rather than all of the amazing things you've done at organizations? 
like it's those small things that have that ripple effect, you know, that if everyone did them would sort of add up. Um, look, a, a few things. Let's starting right at home. Um, I became a pescatarian, actually. That's mm. my first thing. Um, I, I read this statistic that if people gave up 50% of their meat consumption, actually we would significantly improve the, the climate path that we're on at the moment. So um, actually both my daughter and I are, are pescatarians now and have been for some time, and, and my son and my husband have significantly reduced their, their meat content, if not just eradicated it. Um, I tell you what, having two teenagers that are pretty activist in their own space gets you right into that recycling area. I mean, they're yeah. very good at holding me to account. You know, that mum, that's a soft plastic that needs to go somewhere else to the, you know, the packaging. So that's definitely something you do. My husband got us into this thing called a bakashi bin, which helps you to sort of compost food waste mm. and then put it into the garden. So, you know, that's another uh, a, another thing that the spa shop family do to sort of contribute. Um, and, you know, maybe one of the most valuable things that I think sometimes we underestimate is our, our right to vote. Mm. Going back, those leaders and those parties that are actually positively contributing um, to not only creating an incredible economy, but doing that in a way that leaves planet and people um, better than ever before. Uh, so never underestimate the power of the vote. Such a good point and not something that anyone's mentioned before in that question on our podcast. So, yeah, love that one. And finally, just any parting thoughts or any asks of the audience that you want to, you want to leave people with? I think sometimes when we think about these big, wicked problems that are going on in the world, it can feel so incredibly overwhelming. And I think what we need to do individually is not, not worry about how we're going to solve that big, wicked problem, but what are the small things that we can do just six feet in front of us that could make a difference? Because when everybody does that, whether in their family, in their friendship circle, in their community or in a business that they're in, then all of a sudden uh, the impact can be quite profound. So I would say it's very natural to fear that which we do not know. Be curious, ask questions, and just do those small things because once you take that first step, it's so much easier to take the next one. Love it. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us on the Leaders for Good podcast. We look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you so much for having me here today. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this episode useful, the best way to support us and spread the message is by telling a friend or a colleague. You can also give us a rating or a comment on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more about Leaders for Good and how you can start making positive change, head on over to leadersforgood.org and join our free community.